Welcome to episode one of a Northern Counties Paranormal Podcast, hosted by Within the Boggart Wood. As this is the first episode, I figure probably some introductions are in order. Uh, I'm Tony, I've just entered my second half century. Uh, I've been an archaeologist working in the northeast of England for the last 30 years. For the last 20, I've been looking at folklore and ghost law as a way of essentially promoting local heritage and preserving local traditions. We live in a society where the very rich cultural history of the north of England and the Scottish borders is slowly being sidelined. Part of the aim of this podcast is to try and tap into that resource and bring it alive for the listeners. So what will this podcast contain? Well, I'll be playing around with the format a bit, depending on the stories I've got access to for each episode. We'll be looking at ghost lore, folklore, local history and archaeology, I'll also aim to where I can promote local businesses based around heritage and tradition. I'm also aiming for discussions on paranormal and heritage related subjects with guests. So hopefully each episode will be a bit different to the last. A big part of this will also be your stories, whether they be ghost stories, encounters of the weird and wonderful kind, or even such things as local traditions and superstitions. So please, if you do want to share your stories, please get in touch via the website at theboggartwood.uk Today's stories were sent in by Gary. Hi Tony, I have three genuine spooky stories of Seam Harbour. The first was of my mum, Betty Wright, was growing up in the mid-1930s at her grandma's house at Bankhead Cottages in Seam. There were only two cottages and at the back of the house was a long triangular shaped vegetable garden around 50 feet long and leading to the colliery railway line where my great-grandad worked as an engine driver. There were no other houses or footpaths at the rear of the building, just a small path leading round to the back door to enter the house. Sometime in the mid-1930s, huge stones and boulders started flying through the air and landing right outside the back door to the house. They never hit anyone, but they were big and much too heavy for anyone to throw them from the railway line, right across the garden and up to the doorstep. Mum remembered hearing the sound of them flying through the darkness and then landing in front of the door with a huge crash. She said some were at least 12 inches across and very heavy. It only happened at night and this went on intermittently for some months. The police were eventually called out but they found nothing and couldn't explain how these huge stones were flying right over the garden and up to the door out of nowhere. Eventually it all seems to have stopped and the mystery was never solved. But Mum never forgot how frightening it was at the time, especially that sound. When my mum and dad were married in 1950, Britain had a housing shortage and it was common for people to rent rooms in a larger house. They set up their first home at Frederick Street in Seam, but something wasn't right even before they moved in. Initially, as they began to move their few things in, belongings would vanish. They would put them in the room and the next day they were gone, making them suspect that someone in the rest of the house was taking things. Even a teapot given as a wedding present went missing for months, then suddenly reappeared where it should have been one day. It was just the start. After they moved in, things got much worse. They would frequently go away to a relative's house for a weekend and return to find their coal fire packed as high as possible and burning fiercely, even though they had been away for two nights. Doors would slam violently through the night. Mum's handbag flew off the dining table and across the room and with visitors present to witness it. The glass door on their chiming clock began to open and close by itself on the mantelpiece. Dad worked as a miner and it meant working night shifts. Mum dreaded these nights. She was certain there was a presence in the bedroom and even resorted to sleeping on the armchair in the living room, but she knew it still followed her. 
They even tied the bedroom door closed and attached a large item of furniture to stop it opening. Dad remembered that you could tell if it was going to be there the minute you walked through the door. Sometimes there was nothing there and the house seemed quite normal, but they knew exactly when it came back. Mum recalled being too terrified to open her eyes when she was alone in the house at night, but she could clearly hear the rustle of clothes like an old-fashioned dress worn by somebody walking around the room. One night in bed she felt something climb into the bed, climb over her and lie beside her all night and then leave at daybreak. She said it was like having a child climbing into the bed, but it was the final straw. Mum, who was pregnant at the time, had spent the night too terrified to move and she miscarried shortly after that experience. She always blamed it on the stress of living in that house. I'm not sure what happened next when Dad went into the house and screamed at whatever it was in the house to leave them alone. It did, but they moved out shortly afterwards in any case. One day after they moved out, one of Dad's workmates asked him if he had lived at the house in Frederick Street. It seems his workmate lived in the very same rooms for a few months before Mum and Dad moved in, and they had decided to get out due to the eerie experiences they were having there. Mum also recalled an old lady living in one of the rooms downstairs in the house, a Miss Lauder. Mum said she saw the lady's reflection in the mirror one day and said that she looked completely different in the mirror and was utterly terrifying and horribly disfigured. Just another strange story connected with that house. Mum and Dad told these stories many times in the years that followed. Their story never changed and every detail was identical, whether they were telling it together or individually, so I don't think they were making it up. Aunt Jenny used to stay with them as a teenager and she clearly remembered the handbag and clock incidents, which left her terrified. So, many years later. My first little house was in Dalton Liddale, Seam. It was a tiny house, but had a big bedroom that looked out onto the main road and woodland with a street light just outside. So the bedroom was very well lit for free. A few months after moving in, I saw an old sideboard in a local antique, or junk shop. It was one of those long sideboards with a large oval mirror on the top, and probably dated from Edwardian times. I bought it and it was duly placed in the bedroom where it looked pretty good, directly opposite the window. But from the moment it arrived, something made me uneasy about it. I don't believe in ghosts, but I couldn't explain why it made me so uneasy. There was something odd about it. On the first night it arrived, a Saturday, I think, I was looking after my neighbour's dog. They were at a wedding, I think and the dog refused to follow me upstairs where it normally used to lie on the landing. Nothing could get it upstairs that evening. I eventually got used to the sideboard, but there was a strange thing about the mirror. It was directly opposite the window with the street light, and as the room overlooked woodland, I didn't need to close the curtains. Some nights you could clearly see in the mirror the reflection of the window, the lights outside, the trees opposite, and even my ornament on the bedroom windowsill. But other nights there was no reflection in that mirror at all. It was just a totally black oval in an otherwise well-lit room. I never had the courage to get up and look in the mirror when there was no reflection showing, but whenever this happened I always woke up knowing that there would be no reflection when I looked. One night there was a pale blue light right up on the left-hand side of the sideboard. I sort of got used to it and it was very strange, but somehow I just ignored it through and it did make me very uneasy. I'd never mentioned that strange sideboard to anyone in case they thought I was bonkers. But that summer when I went on holiday, Mum came to stay and look after the house. I called her the next morning to check she was okay and she seemed worried about something. Then she said, get rid of that sideboard as soon as you get back. She went on to say that it made her feel very uneasy when she went to bed and she'd woken up through the night and had completely vanished. I burst out laughing but she swore she could clearly see the wallpaper and the wall where it should be but it simply wasn't there at all. 
The following night she reported the mirror wasn't showing any reflection. Note I hadn't mentioned this to her. Mum returned home the next morning. That was quite enough. When I got back I remember dragging the sideboard down into the kitchen as I didn't fancy sleeping in the same room now that I knew the spooky stuff wasn't just in my imagination. I got a junk dealer to take it away as soon as I could. I've often wondered what happened to it and if the next owner also experienced something odd about that sideboard. In braver moments I've even wished I'd kept it and had the courage to look in the black mirror but on reflection <laughs> uh, I, th I think I did the right thing. Today's from the archive section uh, may be of interest to Gary. It comes from the Hartlepool Northern Daily Mail, They're dated 22nd of July 1936, and is entitled Police Baffled by Café Missiles. It reads, Two burly policemen have spent the whole of a day sitting in a café here trying to discover how and why someone has been throwing pieces of coal into the café without being discovered. They confirm that the coal kept falling into the room the whole day but the only explanation they can offer is that some malicious spirit is amusing itself at the expense of human beings. The strange phenomena has been noticed over several days. The cafe is run almost entirely by the wife and daughter of the proprietor, who spends most of his day running a taxi service. When the police were first warned that they dismissed the matter as a practical joke by someone, but as one of the inspectors who was sent round to the investigate was leaving the cafe, he was almost struck by a piece of coal. The police commissioner rushed round to clear up the difficulty. He was assured by customers that the statements were quite correct. The police mean to find the solution. So far, however, the malicious spirit has merely countered their efforts by adding spits of iron to his store of missiles. Today's Northern Tradition comes to you via the Denham Tracts, a collection of folklore by Michael Denham, which was printed by Mr. Denham between 1846 and 1859. Looking at this volume, we see a Hexham goose. Apparently, natives of Hexham are so-called collectively, without distinction of sex. A native writes me, By this I am reminded of what I have often heard, and in my boyhood I have often bawled in the streets during a heavy fall of snowflakes. The country gowks are plucking their geese and sending the feathers to Hexham. Okay. Many thanks for listening to this very brief introduction to a Northern Counties Paranormal Podcast. As previously mentioned, the main website can be found at theboggartwood.uk and can also be found on Instagram, Facebook and eventually YouTube. If you'd like to support the podcast and the Within the Boggartwood project as a whole, the project can be found on Patreon at patreon.com slash within the wood. Any patronage will be greatly appreciated. Until next time, bye for now.